Hello everyone and welcome to episode 324 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses, useful resources and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series. How are you, Al? Well, I'm I'm all right. That's <laughs> Do you know good. What? I, don't, I think most people would probably answer that right now. I am um, yeah. particularly those who are mm. possibly working at home with their entire families for the first time. Um, yes. I'm all right. We're, we're good. I, I, I sent out a tweet this morning. I was like, I have never been happier that I do not live in an open plan house because oh, there's yeah. a lot to be said for doors right now is all I'm saying. Yes, definitely, mm. definitely. Well, mm. we're, we're all adapting to this um, transitional period at the moment. Mm. A lot of people are working from home. Um, many kids are about to go or have already gone on school holidays. So there's going to be a lot of people indoors. Yeah. And um, one thing I'm noticing is I actually want to hear my prediction. Give me for, your prediction now. Period. You know how we're meant to be socially isolating? Well, yeah. I actually think it's going to make people more social than ever before, not necessarily physically, but mm. I was talking to a friend of mine and she's got a wine catch-up over Zoom on Thursday, one on Friday, yep. one on yep. Saturday afternoon, one on Sunday yep. morning. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. It's, um, yeah, I've got this WhatsApp, well, several WhatsApp groups that are just going nuts. We're having Friday, you know, we've, we had Friday night drinks together last yes. Friday and we're having them again this Friday. And, you know, like it's, I think it's that thing of, um, because you, you, I, it's a funny thing because when you're used to it, as you and I are used to it, yes. me probably more so even than you because I'm just <laughs> home all the time, um, it's just what you do. So you kind of, you know, I, I'm quite happy spending six hours by myself at home. And in actual yes. fact, this is for me a period of adjustment of having people around all the time oh. while I'm trying to work. And um, mm. it's like everybody is about to learn what I talk about when I go, oh, school holidays are coming <laughs> because it, it is that. But, of course, lots of people are also trying to um, supervise kids' um, schoolwork and, you know, do all that sort of stuff as well. And if you're working and trying to supervise kids' schoolwork and trying to, you know, it's it's actually, it's a lot to take in. And I think people need to be kind to themselves because even when you first just start, like if, if you're, if you've been where I've been, where you've gone from a busy work environment to suddenly working at home as a freelancer or whatever, which of course mm -hmm. I did when I first, you know, started, um, you know, freelancing and stuff. It's a huge adjustment. And I think you need to make allowances for that adjustment because it, it is a different way of working. And this is where all that stuff, and I mean, you know, it's going to take a little while. Don't expect you need to set this up immediately and don't think that you need to write your schedule on a workboard, uh, on a whiteboard, but you do need to kind of discover those routines that work for you and work for your family and how you're going to manage that ebb and flow of that routine. And, it, uh, you know, mm. people laugh at me and have laughed at me for years because I am such a routine-based person and I talk about how important this has been. You know, we I've talked about this for years. I have been banging on and people laugh at me because it's like, oh, there's crazy Al with her fair to middling um, <laughs> and her routines. But, you know, the reality is that you don't get work done unless you've got that routine going. And if you're writing mm. around other things, or as I have been for many years, um, or, you know, you're trying to work around a family or you're trying to do whatever, 
you need the routine and the routine is not sexy and I have talked about this before. I think I even talked about it last week. It's not sexy but it's going to get it done for you And um, but your routine will look different to my routine and that's what you need to also take on board is what is going to work for you um, mm. and your family because this is about everybody trying to work out how to be in the same space and do their things whilst also being isolated from everything else. And the thing I've noticed is what you miss what I miss as a person, you know, apart from <laughs> endless hours to myself, what I miss is that fresh freshness that comes in every afternoon after the boys have been at school. How was your day? What did you do? Who did you talk to? What happened? Oh, my God, you've, you won't believe what happened here. And then, you know, and then my husband comes home a couple of hours later. And how was your day? And there's there's like fresh information. And it's like you're feeding the sourdough starter every day, you know, like it's kind <laughs> of like it is. You kind of, you know, and it all bubbles up and you have all that. Then you go to bed and you start again. I miss that because everybody's nice. doing the same thing. We're all having the same experience. And so we're not getting that outside, mm. you know, thing. So I guess that's probably what I've noticed the most. Yeah. I'm a sourdough starter that's not being fed. That's, that's <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> How these things pop into your head, I do not know. It's because everybody's <laughs> obsessed with sourdough. I've got a, I, I'm in a group. I'm in a, in a sourdough support group. I've been added really? to a WhatsApp group called Fermented Minds. Thank you to my friend Caroline for coming up with that. Wow. Um, fermented Minds of, uh, of people who are, you know, starting their own sourdough. And I have a friend. So my friend Yoast, I have to say this, my friend Yoast is, um, is berry sourdough he's the guy that makes the bread right so right. and he you know I've always had a huge amount of respect for him for the business that he's built for what he does but if anyone has ever tried making their own sourdough my my respect for him has gone up exponentially mm. because of what he manages to do every single day it's incredible people's <laughs> skills are amazing and you don't appreciate you don't appreciate them until you try it yourself so that's all I'm saying and this is not you know so you want to make your own sourdough, sourdough. so we'll move on. <laughs> but nonetheless, <laughs> okay, okay. I am not the biggest fan of sourdough, so I, I think oh, we should. I love on, it, actually. Oh, okay. it hurts! It's owie. Anyway, owie. <laughs> it is. That's okay. my jaw. Oh, um, all, right. all right, let's move on instead to the world of writing and publishing. And we have a great post. It's actually on the Australian Writers' Centre blog called How to Learn and Stay Connected from Home because with a lot of us being at home, it is a good opportunity if you, you know, can um, get your routine happening uh, to do the to learn all the stuff that you didn't have a chance or that you've always wanted to do. One of the things that I've noticed, because it takes me, if I'm commuting to the office, it's an hour, at least one hour, one way. So that's mm. two hours round trip. Sometimes if there's traffic, it's more. I no longer have that time that I need to spend in the car. So I have an extra two hours in my day that I can commit to a course or a, you know, um, delve into an area that I've always wanted to go down the rabbit hole for uh, and um, encourage you to do that. So in mm. this post, which we put in the show notes, which we will put in the show notes, and you will find that at so you want to be a writer.com.au. There's a whole bunch of suggestions on what you might like to study online um, or learn online that's related to writing, of course. Mm, mm, <laughs> and mm. it's it, it, regardless of what area of writing, 
um, that you are interested in, whether that's fiction or nonfiction or content or freelance or whatever, we've got some suggestions there um, to help guide you into choosing the right thing. So mm. check that out. Mm. Let's then move on to our next link. You've got a link for us, Al. I do. I have a link from Lisa Kenway and this one came from the So You Want to Be a Writer Facebook group. So Mm. every Wednesday in the So You Want to Be a Writer Facebook community, we have the Writing Wednesday post where you can link, um, you can pop up a link to whatever post you have written or a post that you've written about, you know, that has to do with actually specifically about writing. And um, Lisa put this post up um, a couple of weeks ago and it's um, it was a lovely post about the joy of artistic collaboration. So it's on Lisa Kenway, K-E-N-W-A-Y.com um, and it's called The Joy of Artistic Collaboration. We'll put the link in the show notes. But it's about how different creative things feed into your writing. So it's about how... Um, you know, music can create an atmosphere for you to, you know, to write whatever it is that you write. Um, and she she starts by saying that she was listening to Christopher Dicker's uh, mm. atmospheric instrumental music, um, which was conceived as a soundtrack to accompany Ben Hobson's novel, Snake Island. And mm. she was talking about how it enriches the story and the two art forms enhance each other. And I think that it's um, it's really worth thinking about because I think often when we think about you know, like you, we've talked about creative dates and how important they are, but often people will will default to what they know, even for a creative mm. date, rather than going and trying and or listening to a piece of music or yes. going and looking at perhaps a um, an art exhibition that they that they wouldn't have gone to, you know, otherwise they they sort of tend to default to what they know. And I think it's a quite interesting time to be looking at this because um, one thing I've noticed uh, over the last couple of weeks is that. We, we now have access online to things that we probably wouldn't be able to access in any other way. Yes. So some of the museums and, and art galleries in uh, in the US, for example, have started doing uh, online virtual tours where you for free where you can actually go behind the scenes with them or you can have a look at their exhibitions obviously via, um, you know, via, uh, a, you know, webcam or whatever. And uh, the, it's, it's an interesting concept as to how those sorts of things might impact on your writing. Um, So an example of that is uh, a couple of years ago, I took my boys to a John Olson exhibition Mm. and, you know, they were only young. I I think um, the oldest one was about 14. And we, the paintings were you know, obviously extraordinary. Um, but when we came home, there was one particular painting that had very much caught um, Book Boy, my oldest, had caught his, you know, interest. And he sat down and wrote a short story that was inspired oh. by the feeling of that, which was, you know, unexpected, um, yes. but was inspired by it. And it was a, it was a very, you know, Stephen King and the world, all sorts of – it was really interesting. He saw things in the painting that I didn't necessarily see, but the thing that he wrote – uh, inspired by it was actually, you know, really, really interesting. And I think that if we can think about the links in mm. our brains of all the various things that happen, I think it's um, it's worth considering different artistic ideas. Yeah, definitely. And um, I, you, you, you can, um, you might remember Michael Cunningham when we interviewed him um, way back 
when. Uh, he, and of course he wrote The Hours and um, other fantastic books. Um, he was saying that he listens to, you know, a particular genre of music, piece of music before he gets started on his writing day. And, mm. um, and, and it works in across many genres and mediums. I remember once interviewing Fiona Scanlon, you know, from Scanlon and Theodore and on a particular collection. And she said it was, in, it was inspired by um, the, that movie, The Ice Storm. I don't know if you recall that the movie, The Ice yeah, Storm, yeah, which do. was set yep. in the 70s. Yep. And that inspired that ho- her whole collection. Um, uh, and on a far more bogan level, I thought I'd share <laughs> what inspired me this week because, of course, you know, one of the greatest poets that ever lived, John Bon Jovi. Um, I've, <laughs> I've yes. taken inspiration from his lyrics and uh, the first three lines of um, – uh, one of his songs, um, I've, I've taken the letters and I've jumbled the letters and I've created um, pattern repeats for mm-hmm. them on, to mm. print on fabric. <laughs> very, very bogan and yet there you go. <laughs> well, I just want to also add though that um, as, as, a, as a, a sort of an adjunct to the artistic collaboration, um, Lisa submitted a piece of microfiction to an open mm. call out for the 2020 Microflix Festival, filmmaking festival, and she was um, chosen by Cassandra Atherton from Spineless Wonders um, t- t- as her work was co- was cho- chosen for consideration. And so her little story is up on the Microflix website mm. until August 2020. And filmmakers are encouraged to choose one of the stories as the inspiration for a short film festival, which will be shown um, at. At a, at a film festival, obviously, you know, later down the track. Um, and she has her fingers and toes crossed, hoping that her piece, Burgers and Babes, might be chosen to be turned into a short film. And I think that that's a really um, exciting sort of a thing yes. to consider. And, and you know, and then she goes on to talk about different ways that you might collaborate, engage with um, other artists um, in the post. So I think it would definitely be worth having a look at, um, at Lisa's post if you're interested in this whole idea yep. of how one art form or creative, you know, pursuit might inspire another very cool and we'll put the link at uh so you want to be a writer.com.au all right now you have a great post on your website I do have a great post on my website. I've got a lovely guest post this week. In fact, I've got a few really interesting guest posts um, at the moment with more mm. to come, which is yes. quite exciting um, in my bid to, you know, support the whole world. Um, so Industry Insider is a series that I do where people go behind the scenes and talk about, you know, certain aspects of the writing craft that you may not have access to in other ways. Mm. And in this particular post, it's called How to Write Nonfiction for Children. Now, I think that nonfiction for kids is an area that is often overlooked. And the post is written by Brenda Gurr, who has a a new um, fiction novel out this month uh, called The Fabulous Cakes of Zinnia Jakes, which I love. Um, But she writes a lot of nonfiction for kids, you know, everything from like magazine articles to books about sharks to entire box sets devoted to helping your kid learn to spell. Like this is the kind of work she's doing in the background, education work, nonfiction work. And she talks about how you know, while everybody dreams of having the picture book out there, um, that, you, you know, the kind of, you know, whimsical creative, in actual fact, kids love nonfiction books. There's a lot of mm. like, you know, and there's a lot of um, a lot of kids that would prefer to read nonfiction books yes. than actually fiction. So um, she talks about how to get into it, what gets kids into it, you know, like 
where to start thinking about. Do you have some kind of niche knowledge that there isn't a book about yet? That the, for kids, like a non, can you break it down into mm. a, into a sort of um, a, an interesting thing that kids are going to be interested in? What kinds of things are kids interested in? And you know, she makes some suggestions that you start thinking of, uh, to get started about mm. thinking carefully about your own interests. You know, is it history? Are you sports mad? Are you a musician? Do you have a passion for gardening? You know, and then you make a list of all of those things and brainstorm which aspects of those topics might hold interest for kids. You know, of different ages. Now the the book that won the Arbia uh, Book of the Year for children this year is an is a um, a book called the Illust- I think it's the Illustrated Guide to Ugly Animals, mm-hmm. and it's a classic. Like and and you can see why kids would adore it. It's mm. a beautiful illustrated book of all those crazy looking you know animals that are out there, and it's got it's a really interesting niche. Um, way to go into a topic that's been done a million times before like this is an animal this is what they do that kind of Mm. stuff so then of course there's research involved you need to go through and you know consult only reputable sources Um, her number one rule for research Brenda's is to have a clear focus and this is something that you really need to think about when you're writing for kids there is a reason that when I suggest um, people are researching um, you know history or whatever for children that when you google it you google you know, what did they play in medieval times for kids? Because someone has gone to all the trouble of thinking about the best and simplest version of mm. what it is that you want to know. So that is what, and that's what you have to do if you're writing nonfiction for kids, of think of the best and simplest yep. version. I mean, and that's one of the reasons Horrible Histories, um, the Horrible History yeah. series is so incredibly popular because it's history without the boring bits. That's mm. how they sell it. It's history without the dull stuff. And it's all the stuff that kids are interested in. How did they go to the toilet in 1591? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. That's what kids want to know. I'm sorry yeah. that it is. Um, <laughs> and then she also goes into, Brenda also in this post goes into, you know, selling your work, which of course is is the key to the whole mess for authors who are actually wanting to break into this area. So it's a great post. And I think yes. that um, if you, like, this is something you and I talk about a lot is diverse income streams. Yep. Um, and this is a different this is a different sector of publishing. It's often taken up by educational publishers who are a different, mm. uh, different sector of publishing to sort of trade publishing, et cetera. Um, so, you know, if you're trying to think about how you're going to um, make your various, you know, income streams happen, is there some aspect or even of, your, of the fiction work that you're doing that you could actually tease out into a completely different work that is non-fiction? So something to think about. The uh, post is up on my website at alisondate.com. Uh, it's called Writing Non-Fiction for Kids and we'll, of course, put the link in the show notes. Great post. Hmm. Okay, so um, what's happening with Your Kids Next Read? Oh, that's right. I forgot to mention. We, um, of course, our big Your Kids Next Read giveaway is underway. We have 30 books in 30 days to give away. Um, It's a sort of a super, it's an Aussie author super tour. Um, So, you know, if you're interested in in perhaps, you know, winning some uh, children's fiction, either for yourself to read as as research or for the young reader in your life, um, get along to the Your Kids Next Read Facebook community. And there's a new book in there. There every day at the moment. Fantastic. And of course, this week, um, 
remember the first Friday of every month is Furious Fiction. Mm. So make sure that you participate in Furious Fiction. If you don't know what that is, sign up to find out. It's furiousfiction.com.au. But what happens is on the first Friday of every month, starting at 5pm, you'll be given some clues and then you have 55 hours to write up to 500 words. So that's until midnight Sunday, and that will be Sydney time. Um, to uh, 500 words of, of of a short short story, and you can win $500 if you are the winner. So to make sure that you are sent the clues, um, and that you are part of the Furious Fiction fan club, go to furiousfiction.com.au. So many Fs, it's very tiring. So many Fs, <laughs> exhausting. I, I understand right. your pain. Let's move on to our giveaway. We spoke to Susan Francis recently, so we have three copies of her book, The Love That Remains, to give away. And um, you can win one of those copies. After 20 years spent searching for her biological parents, Susan unexpectedly meets the great love of her life, a gold miner named Wayne Francis. Two years later, they throw in their jobs, marry and sell everything they own, embarking on an incredible adventure to start a new life in the romantic city of Granada, where they learn Spanish and enjoy too much tapas. In love, they and enthralled by the splendor of European springtime, the pair treasure every moment together until a shocking series of events alters everything. An extraordinary memoir about secrets, life's shocking twists, and unconditional love. So if you want to win your copy, go to writerscenter.com.au slash win. And uh, entries close on the 6th of April. That's writerscenter.com.au slash win. Now, Al. Are you ready for the word of the week? Do you know what? I'll, I'll take anything at this point, given my sourdough starter situation. <laughs> okay. It's sapient, S-A-P-I-E-N-T, sapient. Do you know what that means? No. It has something to do with humanity, though, I'd imagine, does it? Yeah, kind of. It comes from the Latin word sapiens, which means being wise. And therefore, it means wise or sage. So you might say, my sapient mentor advised me not to take that career path. Mm. Mm. Yes. Mm. I'm, not, yes. I'm not sure. I don't know that that's got my starter bubbling, but we'll, <laughs> I'll think about it. All right. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Who is it? Well, this, uh, well, this week we're talking to the lovely Kate Simpson, who is the author of a, a new picture book. She's got a couple of picture books, but her new one is called Anzac Girl, The War Diaries of Alice Ross King, and it's uh, illustrated by Jess Rackleft. And I have to tell you, it's just a beautiful We've talked. I've talked about it several weeks. I've been pressing it upon everyone I've ever met. And mm. um, it's a beautiful book, and we had a talk. It's based on, her, on family history, and we talked about, um, you know, how the story came about and the difficulties of writing it. And um, it's a great interview and I hope you guys will really enjoy it. Kate Simpson is an Australian picture book author and co-host of the One More Page podcast. Kate's debut picture book, Finding Granny, was shortlisted for the Speech Pathology Australia Book of the Year Awards 2019, while her second picture book, Dear Grandpa, is a CBCA notable book this year. Kate's latest book, Anzac Girl, The War Diaries of Alice Ross King, is in bookshops right now. Welcome to the program, Kate. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, now let's wind back a few years here and maybe you would like to tell us how your first picture book, Finding Granny, came to be published. 
Yeah. Okay. So I started writing picture books after I had my own kids and um, I had taken some time off for maternity leave and then I'd work, started working part-time. So I had a little bit, I felt like I had a bit of brain space um, free, you know, being only working part-time. I wasn't as challenged in my job as I had been at different times. And, you know, sometimes having babies is kind of intense, but also kind of mind-numbing, you know, like mm. really challenging and also really soporific. So it's this weird balance. And I just wanted to do something different, something for me. So I, I sort of stumbled across writing picture books almost by accident because I'd heard that creativity was good for the soul, but I did not feel at all artistic in a visual sense. So I was like, all right, let, let's give writing a go. Um, so it took a couple of years, I guess, of honing my craft. Um, I joined a writer's group. I entered a few competitions, um, just worked through all of that. And I was lucky enough to get my break at the New South Wales Writers' Centre Kids and YA Festival, which they hold every couple of years. And they had a live pitch panel. And I have never had a problem with public speaking. I'm quite happy to stand up in front of a room of people and just gab away. But I thought I was going to fall through the floor. It was a completely, I've never felt that way about speaking in front of a group before. I was physically shaking. And so I was like, oh my God, what am I doing up here? But I was lucky enough to win that pitching competition. And one of the judges on the panel, I sort of, there were three judges, but one who I thought the publisher was probably the best fit for that manuscript. So I chucked her a quick email and I said, oh, would you be all interested? You know, you were the judge. I won this pitching competition. Would you like to see the whole manuscript? And she said to me, oh, look, I'm really busy right now. And she gave me a date. She, I think she said August or something. You know, I'll be less busy at this particular time. Send it through then. And I did. And she picked it up, which was amazing. Okay. So I'm just going to wind you back slightly here. Yeah. How long ago – so how old are your kids for starters? Uh, they are eight and six. All right. So about eight years ago, you first sort of started to think maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something creative. Yeah, probably about seven years ago. I think Emma was sort of, you know, growing up a little bit. And I All thought right. I'd give it a crack. And how, so how many years ago was the, was the Finding Granny pitching competition? Oh, gosh, you're stretching my brain now. I know. Uh, I, I like to make this <laughs> as difficult as possible for people I talk to. Yeah, so it came out in 2018. So I'm thinking must have been 2016 or 2017, probably 2016 because they do it every second year. Yeah, okay. Um, so it would have been 2016. And tell us, um, first for people who've never done anything like that before, how does a live pitching you know, competition work? What do you have to do? Yeah, so you've got a time limit, usually sort of 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and you have to provide the elevator pitch that is going to sell your book to a panel of a few people. In this case, and it's often the way in the things I've been in, not everybody gets a crack, but you'll put your name or your business card or whatever into a hat. They'll pull you pull your name out and you have to stand up in front of a room full of people and a panel of judges and you've just got a very short amount of time wow. to, you know, get your story out there. So how, when you were putting together that, but what was you, can you tell us what your pitch was? Have you got a vague memory of what that pitch was? I knew was? you were going to ask me that. You no, know, I, 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 I was stretching the memory. Idea. You really are stretching the memory. Um, so I think I sort of, uh, so the, the picture book is not rhyming, but it has a certain rhythm to it. So right. it starts out, um, 
Edie's granny is a playtime granny, a bedtime storytime pantomime granny, and I'm not afraid of some slime granny. So I sort of riffed on that a little bit to provide the setting for the book. So, yeah. you know, um, and and then launched into the pitch about oh. which essentially is um, that Edie's granny has a stroke and she has to rediscover. They have to rebuild their relationship because they can't do the things that they used to do. Yeah. And then I put in some stuff um, very briefly, some facts about who this might be relevant to. So the number of people having strokes each year and the number of families affected and that sort of thing to try and kind of set the market up there. Wow. So you managed to get all of that into 60 seconds? I I think, yeah, I think it was about 60 seconds. That's very impressive, Kate. Well done. (laughs) Um, So was was Finding Granny, like you said, you'd sort of like started working on things and and was it the first picture book that you ever wrote that that actually became your first published one? No. So the first picture book I ever wrote is still in my bottom drawer. My partner still thinks it's great and keeps pushing me to send it out there, but I I have sent it out a little bit. In its original form, like most people's first efforts, it wasn't awesome. Um, Although, to be fair to me, I feel like given that it was the first time, like it, it wasn't terrible either you know it was okay and as I like got better and joined writing groups and did courses and those sorts of things I was able to work on it and hone it I mean most people's first drafts are pretty bad I I think I did send an early draft into a competition um you know thinking it was was pretty amazing um but yeah it's sort of grown and developed but I think that one's going to stay a bottom drawer manuscript uh, (laughs) to be honest and I'd I don't know how many I'd written. I probably had written a dozen or more, you know, by the time uh, I came to Finding Granny. Um, why did you choose picture books in the first place? Like, you know, out of all of the things that you could have, like you, you said, you know, it was basically like, you know, you'd read somewhere that creativity was good for the soul. Um, why did you choose, pick, why pick that short form? Why not go, I'm going to launch into writing a novel of some kind? Or like, why was it that that you were drawn to? Uh, I think... Partly because I had very young children of my own at the time, so I was reading a lot of picture books Mm. and I loved them, you know. It was sort of something that I'd forgotten that I loved and I thought, I guess it just seems like an easier place to start than a fully-fledged novel. Um, Also, at the time, I saw... Uh, Because I was sort of doing some Googling and having a look around, I did see an online competition right around the time when I was hunting about for a thing to do, Mm. um, an online unpublished picture book manuscript competition, which I think was run through Kids Book Review blog. They they don't do that competition anymore, but they used to. So that was sort of something tangible that I could do right now. You know, okay, let's, let's put this together for that competition and then I just loved it you know once I started and tried it I I, I had so much fun with it that you know I just it didn't occur to me to drop it so now that you've had three published and you know you you as you've you've got a pretty good strike rate there you've been shortlisted for your first book you're long listed in the CBCA notables like you're obviously doing something right somewhere what do you think most writers get wrong when they start out with picture books like where do you think they go wrong um I think there are a few things. One is not reading any modern picture books. I think that would be a big one. Um, and I I saw a post for World Book Day. Is it World Book Day that they have around yeah. this time? There's a few. Just, a few. just the other day, yeah. Uh, just the other day with uh, somebody on a news site 
you know, uh, complaining about picture books these days. And the examples that this person used, I'm like, have you read five picture books? You know, there are lots of picture books out there these days. Yes. And, and you know, because she was being rather critical, saying, oh, that back in my day, they were a lot better. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I know. And she'd read The Gruffalo. Like, the Gruffalo was her one great example of a modern picture book. And, right. you know, even there, it's probably... A good few years old now, I'd say, the Gruffalo. Wasn't there a 20th anniversary recently? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I think so. So I think read, reading current picture books is really important. Um, I think another thing that people don't understand or that I didn't understand or know um, early on is that picture books have a structure. You know, they, they come in a set number of pages. Publishers can't just publish a picture book of however many pages they like. You can publish 24 pages or you can publish 32 pages. Mm. Very occasionally you might publish 48 pages, but really you need to stick with the conventions. Um, you know, if you go and say, oh, I'm a genius and um, – you know, my book breaks all the conventions. They're going to say thanks, but, you know, uh, see you later. So you need to know what the rules are. You need, you know, people often write long, a picture book these days. And look, I mean, I say this, but my picture book, um, Anzac Girl, is a couple of thousand words. But for most picture books these days, you're looking at a maximum of 400 words, you know. Yeah. So you need to know these things, these expectations. And I think that's... Um, the tricky part mm, understanding what you don't know before you start yeah that's right you yeah. know people think that anybody can write a picture book but there there are you know and look fair enough anybody can these days they're self-publishing but if you want to get it traditionally published you need to understand the framework that you're working in all right so when it came to actually getting uh finding granny published was there anything about that process of publishing for the first time that really surprised you um I don't think there was anything truly shocking. Right. Um, I spent a fair bit of time trying to educate myself mm. by that stage. Um, certainly I found the duration, the, the time it took to get to publication long-ish. Yeah. Uh, although, to be fair, it was not at all long uh, in the scheme of things. Um, but, you know, you always want it to be out quicker than it ever is. Mm. Um, but I had been told to expect that. So most of the things that, you know, I think can be traps for young players, you know, um, were sort of expected right around the time that that got picked up. Um, actually, the Australian Writers' Centre released an online course that was, I can't remember what it's called, Publishing Essentials or something that yep. explains a lot of those processes. Yep. Um, so I did that as soon as it came out, which was really helpful to kind of, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, legal advice or anything like that but it just explains to you what the terminology is that they're going to be using in the contracts and yeah. you know how they work and what you can generally expect so that was really good yeah no it's a it's a good one um all right so let's talk about your third book because we're up to anzac girl which is out in the shops um and this one is a very personal project can you tell us about it yeah, so this is actually the story of my great grandmother um my mother's grandmother who nursed during World War I, uh, initially in Cairo and then on the Western Front and uh, actually became a very decorated nurse. She went on in World War II um, to be the, I think, the assistant controller for the medical services in Victoria So, mm -hmm. and she had a rank of major. So she was 
quite an amazing lady, mm. and she wrote diaries for the four years that she was in World War One. Uh, and each family member had a copy of a transcript of those diaries. So mum had uh, those diaries in her bottom drawer for a long time. And so I've basically taken her diaries, extracts from her diaries, and a sort of semi-fictionalized narrative, but not, you know, fairly factual, but just kind of, um, I guess, creatively told um, mm. and, and wound that in with the diary entries to, yeah, create a, non, a narrative nonfiction picture book for probably seven to even up to 12-year-olds, I'd mm. say. Yeah. So I read the book and one of the things that I thought when I got to the end of the book was this is an enormous story to put in picture book form. And you're saying you've got four years worth of diaries there. What was the Mm -hmm. process of writing this book and, you know, condensing such an enormous story into, into a picture book? Yeah, it took a long time. Mm. Um, I, so the full transcripts of the diaries are actually also on the Australian War Memorials website, and Mum had lost a few pages of hers. So I spent long nights reading through those diaries sort of over and over and over again. And when I found a section that I thought was interesting and a quote that I thought was interesting, I copied those over into like a Word document and sort of arranged them in chronological order and then sort of sat down to try to pick out what elements of that we're going to go into the story because, as you say, like four years, there was a lot of stuff that happened over that time period mm. um, and some stuff that actually was not that suitable for um, child readers. Yeah. So um, there was some quite shocking events that she talks about in those um, diaries from time to time, such as um, there was a, a whole hospital tent um, ward, you know, tent yeah, ward, yeah. full of German prisoners that somehow got forgotten for a period of some days. And mm. she was walking through one day and heard a noise coming out of a tent that she didn't really realise was being occupied, went inside and found that they had had no food or water for a few days and that nobody had tended to them. And they end up, they need to get them out as quickly as possible. So the doctors all come in and they do all the operations and amputations without any chloroform. So she was quite shaken up by that event. Mm. And, you know, it was, for me, it was one of the most standout events, but it's just, you just can't really put that into a book for that age group. So it was about finding the things that were significant, finding the things that wove together to tell a story with a story arc um, and, yeah, sometimes you had to, I had to sort of make sacrifices. Even within a small time frame, I tried to keep my quotes chron- chronological, the diary entries chronological. So sometimes, you know, if I wanted to talk about the romance element, but I had to pick a quote from, you know, a time that fell after this event that's on page, you know, two and before this event that's on page five, you know, and, and find something that sat into the middle. So there was a lot of sort of cutting and pasting and moving around and, you know, figuring all of that out. So even while you're doing this and it's taking you quite a long time and you've got masses and masses of stuff and things you've got to leave out, did you ever at any stage think maybe this needs to be a 60,000-word middle-grade novel? <laughs> you know, it never just... even occurred to me really? to write it. Isn't it? <laughs> no, it didn't. Partly, I think, because I'm just so focused on um, 
on picture books, but also I guess I don't read a lot of nonfiction middle grade. I'm not aware of the market or sure of the market. And, and I guess I could have gone out and figured it out. Um, but that would also have required filling in, I think, a lot more gaps than I did. And I really wanted to stay as close as possible to the source material, um, you know, to turn that into a really novelized format you'd really I'd really have had to take and take some liberties with that mm. and, and really get into her head I wanted so the diary entries are the window into her mind yeah. and I'm able to tell that story you know put the narrative in a sense that doesn't have to put words into her mouth because the diary entries are already there mm. so I don't think I would have wanted to fictionalize it to the extent that I think I would have needed to for a middle grade you know, novelized version. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, was the book contracted, or is this something that you could potentially have put all of this work into and then had people go, yeah, nah, not really for yeah. us? You know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was very, it wasn't contracted. Uh, I was wow. just working away, plotting away. But it was a labor of love as well. And I, it did occur to me at that time, I've never been particularly interested in going down the self-publishing path because I don't have illustrating skills. I don't have design skills. You know, it's much mm. easier to, uh, for me to get a publisher to do all of that. But it did occur to me that if I could not get it published, that I might try to do some form of self-publishing because it had become such a personal passion project. Mm. Uh, whereas my other manuscripts, if they end up in the bottom drawer, they end up in the bottom drawer. This one, I really wanted it to see the light of day. All right. Well, speaking of the illustrations, they are quite extraordinary, like the way that the sort of, you know, the the historical stuff is woven in with with illustration and various other things. It's really very beautiful. Um, so how did illustrator Jess Rackleft come on board? Like what was the, you know, was that how, um, how did they choose Jess for the project? Yeah, so um... – I have been published with two of my books with Alan and Unwin and they are quite collaborative um, with the author in my experience in terms of, you know, they were interested to know if I had any um, preferred illustrators. Mm. Um, I'm not artistic at all, so I tend to enjoy just passing that completely on to the publisher. So they had a few different ideas. Um some of whom, without naming names, are extremely busy and successful Australian children's authors whose mm. names would, would jump right out at you. Um, and I think they had two of those who unfortunately did not have the time to do it. Yeah. But when they suggested Jess, uh, I was so excited about it because I'd seen Jess's work. And the publisher was so excited about it too and her enthusiasm was so infectious. You know, she she hadn't worked with Jess before, um, but she was sort of telling me how excited she was and she really felt that this was an up-and-coming illustrator who was going to make it, you know, really big with her illustration work. And Jess has a mountain of books out now. She, she, I, she must be such a busy lady because she has so much work and I think a lot of people recognise the real talent that she is. So mm. she, um, the publisher asked me how I would feel and I was super excited and, and I crossed my fingers and luckily Jess said yes, which was, which was fabulous. So she's used a lot of historical, there's like, you know, historical imagery in here, there's photos, there's, you know, bits and pieces. Um, was that from your family collection or is that from a whole range of different places? It's from a whole range of places. Some of them are my family's photos. Um, Alan and Unwin had published an adult 
non-fiction book that my great-grandmother starred in as well. She It was called Anzac Girls, plural. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Actually, yeah. no, it was called The Other Anzacs originally yeah. uh, when it was originally published and then they turned it into an ABC miniseries called yeah. Anzac Girls yeah, 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 uh, yeah. and then they republished it with the, the cover picture from the miniseries and rebranded it and whatever. And they had a lot of the, the old family photos scanned and, you know, digitised. So I asked them uh, if they could grab some copies of those because um, unfortunately um, the originals had not come back to the family after the publication of that book, which was a bit sad. Oh, that is sad. Yeah, yeah it was sad. But, yeah, they were able to dig out the um, scanned versions that they had, which Jess used in um, in the book. And then also one of the things I love is that she used some of her own family's photos. So I love that both of our families are kind of woven into this book, that I think it was her perhaps her great-grandfather, um, and then she got some from other sources like the War Memorial, the State Library of Victoria and things like that. Sensational. All right, switching gears, let's talk about One More Page, which is your podcast that you co-host. How long have you been doing that and how and why did that start? So um, we started doing that at the start of 2018. So we've had just over two years of doing One More Page. So and who's we? Who's your, who are your co-hosts with that? So that's um, Liz Ledden, who's another picture book author, and Nat Amor, who's a middle grade author yeah. and book lover. So it's it's not actually we, – we, we don't call it a podcast for writers. We say that it's a podcast for lovers of kids' books. We, yeah. We're talking about kids' books. We interview writers, but not always about the craft of writing. We want to be something that kids could listen to or teacher librarians, parents, but we do get quite a lot of writers and illustrators in our audience because, obviously, they're lovers of kids' books as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How important has it been for helping to spread the word about your own books, do you think? I think it has been important. I mean, that was sort of the driver for starting it. So I, um, around the time that I got my first book contract, I also um, needed to go back to work full time for sort of personal and financial reasons. Yeah. And it had that had not been on the plan. It came about quite suddenly that I needed to return to work yeah. or return to work full time. And I, I suddenly realized, gosh, I'm not going to have the time that I wanted to do school visits or, you know, promote this book in person. How can I get it out there? And I thought, well, I listened to your podcast and a few other writing podcasts. And I thought that's the way that I can reach people without having to be available, you know, mm. during the day and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And I do think it's been important in spreading the word. With these sorts of things, it's always very difficult to know. You know, people ask me that. And when it's authors asking that, I often say, look, don't do it just because it's going to spread the word. You know, do it because you like doing a podcast because yeah. otherwise – it's a hell of a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I was <laughs> going to say, it's a huge amount of work. And it's difficult to put it, you know, how many books have I sold from it? You know, if you, you I can't put a number on that. I, I genuinely don't know. But I, it is great to have, not only to have the podcast, but then to have a reason to put things on social media. You know, you want to be able yeah. to talk about stuff and this is my stuff. You know, this is, yeah. this is content. Um, and also it's a great way to meet other people who are in publishing, which yeah. I think you can't discount that 
in the bigger scheme of it's not exactly promotion but just growing the network of people that you know is always going to help so we're able to knock on the doors of authors and illustrators who we admire but also publishers agents and we have a reason to go to them and say hi would you be interested in coming on the show whereas otherwise you know I'm not going to knock on the door and say hi I'm Kate you want to have a chat but in this context I actually can which is wonderful yeah so has there been like as far as that goes because um, it is a time commitment. Like it's one of those things where, you know, you hear the, the one hour a, a mm. month or whatever that you mm-hmm. put into it, but there's an enormous amount of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with that. So are there ever times where you think, oh, what am I doing? Like really? Frequently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not just me then. <laughs> so look, we've actually cut back this year. For We used to have a fortnight. For the first two years we had a fortnightly podcast and this year we're doing it monthly just because the time commitment had gotten to the point where it was too much for all of us, you know, we're each um, starting to get published now and just general life commitments um, were too much for the amount of time uh, that it was taking us because yeah. we um, we do have some some support. Uh, the first year we did practically everything ourselves um, except a friend of Nat's does the art, which is totally amazing. Mm. Big shout out to Marianne Koo who does all of our stuff. It's Which awesome. Is great. And the art is great. And it's yeah. very like that branding is is sensational because you do need that. Like it's it's one of those things that you can overlook, but it, you do need it as far as there's something fresh to put on social media all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, look, the time commitment was just getting too much, which is why we've cut back this year. Um, and from last year, we also got a, um, a volunteer sound engineer to help with the editing um Mm. so um he to be honest nat organized it so i'm not quite sure but i think he's recently graduated and needed some sort of stuff to put on his cv and Mm. he's trying to break into the industry so he was willing to give us a bit of a hand um but up until then nat did it all herself she still does some of it and Mm. he does some of it Mm. so with that and prepping and meeting you know doing the interviews and then recording it between the three of us and all the things it, it is a lot more effort than it looks like yeah and I think that's the thing that um that can surprise people when they first you know think oh I'm going to start a podcast and then you actually look into what's involved in it and there is a lot of work but what what sorts of other things do you do as far as promotion goes like uh, with the full-time work and and the various things you know do you have to set time aside to to promote them or are you mostly doing your stuff online yeah look I'm mostly doing my stuff online um I am signed up with a speaker's agency at at the moment, but I only have a fairly limited window of speaking engagements that I'm able to do, so yeah. weekends, and then I usually set aside sort of a week or two of my annual leave from my day job to do speaking events, so book week and things like that. Yeah. But most of the stuff is online. Um, I'm a little bit ad hoc about it, I have to say. I, I do my best. <laughs> uh, I do what I can. I did your uh, Build Your Author Platform course. Um, oh, excellent. Yeah, which I think one of the key things that I took away from that, and I'm not sure if this was your exact messaging. I think sometimes we interpret messaging in the way that we need to hear it, but yeah. it was basically you can only do what you can do. Yeah, it was. So <laughs> <laughs> That was part of my messaging. Do what you can do, but be consistent about what you can do. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I don't blog, for example. Um, I have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, I'm 
reasonably consistent on Twitter and not so much on Facebook and Instagram. One of the things, I guess, the the good things about One More Page, and this is by design, is that it has its own Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and we're much more consistent on those platforms than perhaps mm. I am on my own and they give me the opportunity as well to use those platforms to spread the word about my book. Yeah. So it's not just the podcast, it's all the things that come with the podcast and because there are three of us, we can split sort of share the load in terms of those types of posts. So at the moment with Anzac Girl, um, the wonderful thing about that is that there's a lot of, you know, background to that story that I am able to share. So, you know, for example, it was International Women's Day recently. So I could put a picture of my actual grandmother, you know, not my illustrated grandmother and (laughs) tell a bit of the story of her life and, you know, the aspects of her life that I find really inspiring and, you know, so um, it, it's it's great for an author when you've got that backstory and that content. You know, I often uh, envy illustrators because you know they've got all the works in progress. Yeah, yeah. it's a very visual medium. Yeah. You know, you can, yeah. and and social media loves visuals. Yeah. So there's lots of stuff that they they can put up there, and I often feel a little bit stuck as an author. It's like there's no way in hell I'm putting my first draft up there for people to see. <laughs> So is that promotional aspect of being an author something that you like? Like you said you had no qualms about public speaking, which is a huge bonus. But what, you know, is the actual promotional, putting yourself out there, having to come up with something new to talk about, you know, that's not really talking about your book but talking about your book, is that kind of stuff, you know, does that come naturally to you like it, or something you enjoy? Um. I enjoy aspects of it, I would say. Um, I really enjoy the podcast, you know. I love to do it. It's given me so many opportunities. So that's the, that's the big love part. Um, I enjoy Twitter. You know, I like the interaction, the banter, and, you know, I don't push myself to be, you know, all about um, – my book you know Mm. it's really just a chatty place where I can talk about whatever's going on in my life and um, the thing that I like so much about it is you know the more insignificant the more tweetable it seems so Mm. there's not a lot of pressure to think of something really kind of mind-blowing to say Um, I'm not at all visual so I really struggle with Instagram for example Uh, and I as I say I don't do blogs because I just find I don't have the time for it and there's only kind of so much that you can do so some of it comes more naturally than other things okay so speaking of you know having the time you work full-time you have two children Mm. of your own how do you fit all of the various aspects of your writing life in around that, including the writing, the actual writing? Yes. Mm. I have to admit that the writing has not been happening as much <laughs> as perhaps it should. Um, Oops. The, yeah, which is a bit of a problem. It is a problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm willing to admit it. It, it is a, a genuine – something that I genuinely struggle with is trying to find that balance, um, figuring out how I can possibly work all of this in together. Um, one of the advantages of the very long lead time on picture books means that a lot of this stuff I wrote at a time when I was less busy and it's just right. coming out now. Yep. Um, I have a critique group who keeps me honest because we do meet once a month. I do not go every month, but um, I try to go as often as I can. And that sort of gives me a deadline to write something, even mm. if it's not a great something. I think sometimes you just need to keep the wheels turning and the creativity. Yeah. 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 But 
I would say that the promotional and the aspects of it, the even just the sending new content out to, you know, pitching to publishers and all of those sorts of things. Since I first got published, returned to work, started my podcast, I've spent a lot more time on the podcast, the pitching, the administration mm. than I have on the writing. So I'm sort of actively trying to figure out ways that I can swing that balance around a little mm. bit. It's not easy, is it? It's All right, really Kate Simpson. Now, where can people find you online, Kate, just in case they don't get to our show notes? Because we do always put contact details for our authors in the show notes, just in case you didn't know. But Kate is now going to tell us where her website is so that you can go and have a look. Yes, so you can find me at katesimpsonbooks.com and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at K because they don't allow Kate Simpson books is too long. So K Simpson books on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can find one more page podcast.com or one more page AU across uh, the social media platforms. All right. And we're going to finish up, of course, with our three top tips for writers because that's what we do. So um, what are your three top tips for writers? Okay. So I'm not sure if I'm supposed to start with the least important and work to the most important, but I'm going to go hard with my absolute number one beats them all. Top tip for writers is join a critique critique group. I cannot stress enough how important they were to my development. Um, Preferably if you can find one that's where the people are like a little bit ahead of you, but not miles ahead of you in terms of their development. These were the people that told me that picture books have 32 pages. They pointed me in the direction of writing courses. They told me which publishers were looking as well as actually critiquing my my books on a regular basis. So Mm. absolutely cannot. Was yours uh, a specific picture book critique group or was yes. it a general one? So you actually managed to find yourself one where everybody was writing a picture book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators is great for that and also your local writer's centre. So I did mine through my state-based writer's centre, mm-hmm. um, but I've also had ones through Squibby as well at different times, like online ones and things like that. So, yeah, definitely okay. get out there and find something in that regard. Yeah. My next one will be develop strategies to manage the emotional roller coaster. Mm. Um, I think if you are too confident in yourself, you're never going to get anywhere because, um, you know, you're just not going to be open to criticism and, and to development and to all of those things. But if you let, it's very easy to let it, let the fear and the rejection get in the way. So I, I feel like this links to the first point because the biggest thing for me was just surrounding myself through my critique group and in other ways with writers who were in the same situation so you can kind of vent and share you know share the problems and things Mm. like that that you have um and look I'm not being very original here but I've got to say read Mm. um you know read for craft and also read to fill the create the creative void and, and do whatever else fills that creative space as well. I think I just slipped a fourth tip in there. So number three. No, that's, I, look, we love a bonus tip. Bonus <laughs> tips are always good. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kate. We very much appreciate it. Um, I think it's been incredibly useful for anyone out there who is, uh, well, across a whole range of areas there. So uh, thank you very much and um, best of luck with Anzac Girl. I think it's going to go gangbusters. Thank you so much. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd love to create your own picture book, a popular five-week course in writing picture books will show you how. In less than a few hours a week, you'll discover what you need to know about point of view in a picture book, structure and pace, as well as language and rhythm, finding the right voice, working with illustrators, publishing options and much more. Complete it online for ultimate convenience and receive personalised tutor feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash picturebooks. There we go, Kate Simpson. Awesome. Now, what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, you know, I don't know what I do. <laughs> Or okay. I, I just, I, it's hard to say. I well, put I'm not going anywhere, so no. we can't talk about that. Um, I, I have to say, I'm a little bit sad that all of my events for the next year have been cancelled. Like, I know mm. that everyone's in the same boat, but it's, you know, those those rare occasions where I do venture out of the house to actually, um, you know, talk to people and do things are, are, mm. are highlights on my calendar. So I'm a bit sad about that. But um, so I guess I'll be writing things. I'm actually starting a new version of Write a Book with Al, a very gentle version of Write a Book with Al. If anybody would like to join in on that, it's hashtag Write a Book with Al. Uh, probably Facebook and Twitter is where it will happen most. Um, mm. So follow me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer or on Twitter at, at Al Tate if you'd like to join in. And basically the premise is that I write a book. I update a word count each day just letting you know whether I wrote a book or not that day. Mm. You write a book with me. You update your word count so that yeah. I can give you a little cheer and a yay. Um, and that's pretty much the whole that's, – that's how it works. It's, it's very it is, effective. Well, it's incredibly effective. Mm. Well, I mean, the, I have to say I do it because it keeps me accountable and everybody else joins me because it keeps them accountable. So it, yeah. it's it's kind of a mutual accountability scheme. And if you would like to join it, you know, feel free to do so. Uh, oh, and, and that will be it. And also, if you have kids at home um, and you want some, and you want them to experience some of Alison's wisdom, check out Alison's fantastic course for kids called yeah. the Creative Writing um, Quest for Kids. For kids. Yep. <laughs> Aged. Um, from like 8 to 13, it's ideal for? Maybe you can explain what it's about. Um, so, yeah, so we it's kind of I've, I've aimed it at a middle school audience. So if you've got a kid that's, you know, a relatively good writer of, you know, eight, they'd be fine. If you've got a kid who's 14, fine. I've also worked with kids who are in year 10 who were um, working on a specific project that they particularly wanted feedback on. So I have done that as well. But basically what happens is that it's a 12-module course. They work their way through the modules. Uh, they get feedback along the way. And it's all Alison on all video. All me, all the time on video. Um, and then they also there's a whole bunch of little you know, handouts and things that they can download um, and, and, and tasks that they can complete that week, etc. Um, our, our YAY team, the fantastic Australian Writers Team, uh, Centre team, provides feedback each week to, um, of their little uh, exercises and things that they do. And by the end of the course, they will have an 800-word story that mm -hmm. they upload, um, that I read, and then I give them personalised video feedback on that. So I read their story and I go through that story with them via video in the sense that I you know, obviously I'm on video and they then have a look at it um, but it's it is it's all about them and their story it's it's you know the things they're doing well things areas where they might improve little tips and bits of advice that I've learned along the way um, it's just to kind of you know bring everything together that mm. they've learned in the course um, and so yeah so it's and it's a you know fairly much a self-paced thing they have a it's it's as I said 12 modules they 
have up to a year to do it, but I yeah. find most of them are kind of getting through it. Yeah, keen to, keen to do it. <laughs> a lot mm. sooner than that. Um, but, yeah, the next one starts very soon. Yes. It's not a year's worth of No, it's not a year's but worth, you can but do some it. people tend yeah. to procrastinate. Other kids yes. get it done in five and a half minutes. It just depends yes. on your child and how enthusiastic <laughs> they are. But it's a great way to be able to get that personalised feedback on your child's story um, from Alison. So check out um, uh, writercenter.com.au slash quest. That's writercenter.com.au slash quest. All right, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Where do we find you online now? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. As I said, you'll find me on Twitter at, at altate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And Instagram at the moment is pretty much just a steady stream of procrastinate photos oh, because we're, we're not all, complaining. He's so happy. We're all home mm. with him. Anyway, um, mm. what about you, Val? Where do we find you? Uh, you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at SoYouWantToBeAWriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want To Be A Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>